Hello and welcome to LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination, ANAC. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today I'm here with Jesse McGill, ANAC Curriculum Development Specialist, to continue our podcast series called Deep Dive into MDS 3.0 Quality Measures. Welcome, Jesse. Ah, uh, thanks, Rebecca. I am happy to be here. And today I brought three new quality measures the percent of residents with urinary tract infections, percent of residents who have had a catheter inserted and left in their bladder, and percent of low-risk residents who lose control of their bowel and bladder. It sounds like we have a full agenda today, Jesse. Where would you like to get started? I think we'll start with what is similar across all three of these measures. First is that they're all long-stay MDS 3.0 quality measures, which means that they include residents with at least 101 or more cumulative days in the facility. And all of these measures use a long-stay selected target assessment for identifying residents with these conditions. For long-stay measures, a target assessment is within the most recent three months, and this is the long-stay target period. The assessment must be within the resident selected episode, have a qualifying reason for assessment, and a target date that is no more than 120 days before the end of the episode. And those qualifying assessments for these long-stay measures include your OBRA comprehensive and quarterly assessments, the Medicare 5-day, and an OBRA discharge return and a return not anticipated. It's helpful to see the similarities. Thanks, Jesse. Should we dive into the UTI measure? Yes, and this is a very straightforward measure. It is the percent of residents with a urinary tract infection. The numerator includes all long-stay residents with a UTI coded at I-2300 on that target assessment. And the denominator is all long-stay residents except those with exclusions. And there are only two exclusions. First is that the target assessment is an admission or a five-day, and the second is that UTI is dashed or missing on that target assessment. And there's no covariates that are used to risk-adjust this measure. Jesse, why are those assessment types excluded for this measure? Oh, that's a great question, Rebecca. And in the cases of, say, new admissions or a Medicare five-day resident just came back from a hospital stay, the occurrence of the UTI may be out of the control of the nursing facility. The resident may have already had that UTI even well prior to admission or readmission since the UTI has a 30-day look-back period. This prevents this type of situation from counting against your facility on the quality measures. Thanks, Jesse. Is there anything else our listeners need to know about this measure before we take a quick commercial break? Yes. I'm going to really just talk about accuracy for a moment because the accuracy of coding UTI is absolutely key for the accuracy of this measure. UTI has very specific coding instructions in Section I of the REI. So item I-2300, urinary tract infection, it's a 30-day look-back period for active disease. All other diagnoses in Section I have a seven-day look-back period, so that's a big difference. And we also only code UTI if the following two criteria are met in the last 30 days. First is that the UTI was determined using evidence-based criteria such as McGreer, NHSN, or LOBE in the last 30 days. 
And the second is that a physician documented the UTI diagnoses in the last 30 days. Now, this is physician or physician extender. So it could be a nurse practitioner, physician assistant, or clinical nurse specialist, if allowable under your state laws. Now, I'm going to get a little bit deeper here because the REI has some more information. And it says, in accordance with the requirements of the federal regulations, and this is 483.80 under the Infection Prevention and Control Program, a facility must establish routine, ongoing, systematic collection, analysis, interpretation, and dissemination of surveillance data to identify infections. The facility's surveillance system must include a data control tool and the use of a nationally recognized surveillance criteria. Now, this is the key part here. Facilities are expected to use the same nationally recognized criteria chosen for their infection control program to determine the presence of a UTI, which means as a nurse assessment coordinator, you can't just choose which criteria you're going to use per each resident. You have to know what your facility has chosen for their surveillance criteria, whether it is McGears or Loeb's or any other nationally recognized criteria that is used as your facility's infection prevention control program. And that's the criteria that you're going to use to determine whether or not the resident has a UTI to be coded on the MDS. Thanks, Jesse. That's helpful information. Listeners, please stay tuned where we take a quick commercial break. You're invited to refresh, renew, and refocus at the APACN 2021 virtual conference this April 14th and 15th and April 21st and 22nd. Get ready for the new year and entirely new type of virtual event. Registration is now open. Members of ANAC, AADNS, and APACN save 50%. Learn more and register today at aapacn.org. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion with Jesse McGill and move now to the quality measure percent of residents who have or had a catheter inserted and left in their bladder. Thanks, Rebecca. And this is another pretty simple, straightforward measure. The numerator includes all long-stay residents that had H0100A indwelling catheter coded on their target assessment. So there's only one criteria for that numerator. The denominator includes all long-stay residents with the target assessment except those with exclusions. And there are actually four exclusions for this measure. The first is that the target assessment is an admission or a Medicare 5 date. Now, as we talked about with the UTI, a resident who is newly admitted or readmitted from the hospital with an indwelling catheter, that may be out of the control of the nursing facility. So it's really great that the admission and the five-day are excluded as a assessment for this measure. Now, the second exclusion is that indwelling catheter is missing or dashed on your MDS. Now, the dash, again, means that we did not have information to code this, which means there was no assessment indicating uh, whether or not there could have been a catheter in place for this resident, and that should be a very rare occurrence. The third and fourth criteria are based on diagnoses, a neurogenic bladder at I-1550 and obstructive uropathy at I-1650. Those diagnoses will exclude the resident from this measure, but also if those items are dashed as if 
we code it as having no information present to be able to code that, the resin will also be excluded. Now this measure is also risk adjusted and there are two covariates, but both of these covariates look back at a prior assessment, not the target assessment. So if on the prior assessment, the resin was coded as having frequent bowel incontinence at age 0400, which would be a two or three, or pressure ulcers at stages two, three, or four on that prior assessment, those residents will be risk adjusted, which really helps level the playing field for this measure when you look at the state and national percentiles. Thanks for that overview, Jesse. How can our listeners ensure accuracy of this measure? That is a great question. And even though this measure is very straightforward, there are often residents who trigger who should not. And that's mostly due to a missed or a missing diagnosis. As we talked about, triggering this measure is very simple. If an indwelling catheter was in place for any duration during the seven-day look-back period on the target assessment, then the resident is going to trigger. Now, it's oftentimes the exclusions that can be missed. A diagnosis of a neurogenic bladder or the obstructive uropathy would exclude that resident from triggering this measure, which means if the resident had that diagnosis, but the NAC miscoding it in section I under I-1550 or I-1650, the resident will still trigger. Now that assessment could be modified if that error is caught timely enough to be able to correct that misdiagnosis. However, there's often times that the diagnosis is actually missing overall. It's not part of the resident's medical record. So for example, a resident has an indwelling catheter due to an enlarged prostate from BPH, which has caused obstructive uropathy. However, the resident only has the diagnoses for the BPH. The NAC or the clinical team would want to query the physician prior to the ARD of that assessment to see if an additional diagnosis of obstructive uropathy is warranted. Now, if that diagnosis is provided by the physician, then it would exclude the resident from triggering this measure. Now, I want to be really clear here that if we receive that diagnosis after the ARD of that assessment, we cannot go back and modify that assessment. That assessment, that diagnosis was not in place within that look back period, but we would have that diagnosis in place for future MDSs. Thanks, Jesse. That's very helpful information. Let's move to the low risk residents who lose control of their bowel and bladder measure. Sounds good. And this, again, is another very simple measure. However, this one has many more exclusions than the other measure. The numerator, though, is simple. The numerator is any long-stay resident who is coded as frequently or always incontinent of bladder at age 0300 or always or frequently incontinent of bowel at age 0400. So really simple numerator. And the denominator is all long-stay residents with a target assessment, except those with exclusions. So let's talk about the exclusions. The first one is that the target assessment is the admission or the five-day. So that initial assessment is excluded for this measure as well. If the items needed to calculate the numerator, uh, bowel and bladder, age 300 and age 400 are dashed, the resident is excluded. Now, the next part is a really key part because we're looking at residents who have had any of the following high-risk conditions. And this measure looks at residents with low-risk loss of bowel and bladder. 
And we look at the low-risk residents by excluding the high-risk. So residents who are considered high-risk or have high-risk conditions are excluded. And those include residents with severe cognitive impairment, which could be indicated by C1000, a cognitive skills for daily decision-making, C0700, short-term memory, or your BIM score. If a resident is totally dependent in bed mobility, transfer, or locomotion, that resident would also be excluded from this measure. If the resident did not qualify for having one of those high-risk conditions we just discussed and has both of the following conditions, they can also be discussed, and that's if the BIMS, short-term memory loss, or daily decision-making is dashed. So the BIM score is dashed, and we do not have either the short-term memory or the daily decision-making coded. We have another exclusion criteria, and that is if you have dashed, so no information collected, for Section G bed mobility transfer or locomotion. The resident will also be excluded if they're coded as being in a coma at B0100, or if that is dashed, if the resident has an indwelling catheter at H0100, or that is dashed, or if a resident is coded as having an ostomy at H0100C, or that item is dashed. Those will all exclude the resident from this measure. That is a very complex exclusion list. Is there a way to help our listeners process these exclusions a little easier, Jesse? There really is. The first tip I would have is to realize that many of the exclusions are due to MDS items being dashed. And if you can prevent any dashes from being on your MDS, that will really help resolve any of the issues of dash items being used to exclude your resident from the measure. And you do that by ensuring you have complete documentation, you have assessments done timely, and you're able to fully complete your MDS without any dashes. And that also really helps the accuracy of the assessment. Anytime we have dashes, uh, which indicate, again, no information present, that leads to reduce the accuracy and the completeness of that assessment. The next is to understand that this measure identifies low-risk residents that lose control of their bowel and bladder by excluding the high-risk. And the high-risk conditions really focus on cognition, and so it is your cognition with your short-term memory, your daily decision-making, and that BIM score. And it looks at total dependence for bed mobility, transfer, and locomotion on unit in Section G and residents who are in a coma or persistent vegetative state. It also includes the indwelling catheter, the ostomy. Now, all those things I just talked about, for whether it is based on the high-risk criteria or the additional items like being in a coma, indwelling catheter, or ostomy, it's all of those items and if they were dashed, which seems to almost double that exclusion list, but it's really focusing on those key items that they're coded, what the results of that are, and that the information was present to be coded on the MDS. And I don't think I mentioned it yet, but this measure does not have any risk-adjusting covariates. Thanks again, Jesse. We really appreciate these great tips. Do you have any final thoughts? Thanks, Rebecca. I do have a few final thoughts, and I really just want to focus on these quality measures, the catheter, loss of control, bowel and bladder, and UTI, and don't stop at just the quality measure. Dig a little deeper. Ensure that the use of the catheter is clinically indicated and continue to monitor over time for that opportunity to remove the catheter in the future if clinically indicated and work with your physician and your team to identify these possibilities. 
For residents who have lost control of their bowel and bladder, consider the appropriateness of a toileting program to help restore continence and reduce wetness and reduce those risks of being wet. The toileting program must be based on individual needs of the resident. The clinical team should also review the UTIs, look at risks and trends, and consider, again, the possible benefit of a toileting program, which could help with cleansing after UTI if that's identified to be part of the risk problem, or if the resident is not being toileted frequently enough, that can also help establish the right program, the right toileting schedule for this resident. Keep in mind that by the time the resident triggers on these measures, it's really reactive. The UTI is already developed. The residents already had the decline of bowel and bladder. And we really want to be proactive. So we may have already missed querying the physician for that appropriate diagnosis for the catheter or identifying an increased wetness and getting the twilling program in place. But the more we understand and know how these measures trigger, the more proactive we can be to monitor residents who are starting to show risk factors of triggering for these measures and put interventions in place that help improve our quality measure outcomes. Thank you again, Jesse. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast informative and helpful, don't hesitate to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. For more resources and tools on quality measures, please visit our website at www.aanac.org.